In light of recent violence here in SB, we wanted to come together and speak up on youth violence. Our particular experience with violence as youth was gang violence, so that's what we'll be speaking on today. We're not offering you advice. We are simply sharing our experience based upon the life lessons we have learned. In no way, shape, or form are we speaking as any type of street authority, but rather as fathers and concerned community members. Before we start, we want to extend our deepest condolences to the families who have lost their loved ones to the recent violence that has occurred here in Santa Barbara. We hope our discussion may be heard by someone who needs to hear it and that it may help in some way to prevent a future violent act. With that being said, I would like to introduce to you my partners in this discussion. Philip Rendon, father of three sons, three daughters, business owner, and 15 years of experience with working at, with at-risk youth. Also, we have Victor Vega, father of one 15-year-old daughter and a drug and alcohol youth counselor. I myself, Gilbert Regalado, the father of three girls, one boy, a business owner, and founder of nonprofit Solid Foundations. So, fellas, I'd like to just dive right into it. And I'd like to um, start with you, Vic. If you could give us a short summary of what led to you becoming a gang member. That was easy for me because my brother and my cousin were already from the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I looked up to them, right? And they were, uh, they were like my male role models. And I wanted to be like them, you know? And so, um, going, finishing sixth grade, going into seventh grade that summer, um, uh, my brother was out of town. He was with, with my dad. And, and um, the homies would see me around. And they were just, I would just start speaking with them. You know, I would meet them when they would come over to the house with my brother. And they were always cool, right? And they were always cool to me. And, you know, um, I guess that was the first attraction, uh, seeing that these these guys were cool to me for, for no reason. And they didn't judge me. But, you know, and that was, that was, uh, um, that was, that was a little bit different for me, you know, always wanted to be accepted and then, you know, and then I started hanging out with them, you know, and they were looking out for me because I was a little kid. And so um, just being part of something, you know, I think that's a yearning that I've had my whole life, even sometimes when I was an adult. And I think that's, that's, that was one of the first things for me. Um, just, to, just to be part of that, you know, and yeah. Oh, I got you. The um, your mic goes in and out, Vic. So I'm not sure if it's uh, something that's covering it, but if you could just check that out for us, please. Uh, Philip, can you tell us your uh, your your story, your quick summary summary of a story? Yeah, you know, I think it's it, it's very similar to Vic's. It's just uh, my family is from the neighborhood. Um, Mine was a little bit different because I, I bounced around and lived in different places, but I was always really connected to Santa Barbara, always uh, really connected to the East side, just because of my family ties. My mom was from the neighborhood, everything. That's what I grew up seeing. So I wanted to, I wanted to go that route. And then, uh, you know, meeting all of these guys, Vic and his brothers and all kinds of 
and the other homies, I just really felt a connection. They kind of, they took me in, um, just really felt like part of something, you know, when I, when I was, I was probably disconnected from my own family a little bit, um, but felt that connection and felt closeness to my cousin, Brad, who had passed away that that kind of uh, brought me around originally. So it was just, just the need to belong. I know you and Vic, that you guys are both older than me, uh, you know, generation, at least one above, but were you guys in the same, like same generation or, or Philip, were you a little bit older than Vic growing up? I'm a couple years older, but we, we all hung around in like the same crew. I'm, I'm, so I'm like uh, Victor's brother's age. Gotcha. Okay. I was really young. Yeah. I was really young. You were hanging out with all the older ones and you were just the youngest. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, I mean, the same thing goes for me. I actually, I mean, I did have family from, you know, from the East side, but it, I don't, it was rare that any of us even ever lived on the East side. It was, you know, I, I grew up and I was raised by, by a loving family on the Mesa, but it was the same thing. It was needing to, that feeling of belong. I was really sheltered as a, as a youngster. So in elementary school, I wasn't allowed to, to go to friends' houses for, you know, a, a long period of time. Definitely wasn't allowed to spend the night or go on any types of trips with them, just out of a sense of my mother wanting to be so secure over me. And, uh, you know, that really that really kind of made me timid when, when you go, when I went to junior high, felt like I kind of got thrown in to a tank full of sharks and it was mm-hmm. something I wasn't, wasn't ready or prepared for. And um, so the junior high kind of put me, put me down where I really felt like a loner, didn't belong to nothing. Uh, and then once I went to high school after going through, being bullied through junior high, I knew I didn't want to take it anymore. And, uh, you know, my, my older cousins introduced me around to the different homies from the neighborhood. And, and, you know, one thing led to another, I was, I was welcomed there. And, uh, you don't have to have a lot of uh, experience or credentials to, to start kicking it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, until it's, you can kick it, but then it's time to prove yourself. And if you've got what it takes then then, then you get welcomed into and I think that's what drawed me just like you guys a sense of I could actually belong to, to some to something and, and and somebody so I think we all share that that common theme and it, it's still played out day in and day out by youngsters these days as well mm-hmm. so what can we do as parents to keep our kids out of gangs I, I think for the most part, it's, it's just being honest about it. You know, like I've, I've had kids and, and luckily none of my kids have joined any gangs. You know, not, my kids are not perfect. They've gotten a little bit of trouble, but they've never gone that route. They kind of grew up with all the same kids. A lot, unfortunately, a lot of the kids that they grew up with, like from the east side, our, our friends' kids or our cousins' kids, a lot of those kids are gone in prison that are my son's ages. So uh, I, I was just real with them. You know, I would let them know what would happen. They would see our family members on drugs, how, how they would act, how they would act crazy. And I wouldn't shelter them from that. I wouldn't just arbitrarily let them hang around with people. Mm-hmm. I was that kind of parent that was always watching, always looking for them, always hunting them down. Um, but I wouldn't hide it from them because I wanted them to see the reality of it, you know, but I, I didn't glorify. I didn't really talk about it. I, matter of fact, I was really uncomfortable when like we'd get around homies and we'd be, we'd be talking and then they start telling war stories. And I didn't like, 
for them to tell war stories around my kids. I just didn't, I didn't like that. It made me uncomfortable. Yeah. And then, um, you know, it, it really bothered me, especially my younger son, because he started to listen to that stuff and he started asking questions and you could tell he was intrigued by it. And I didn't like that. Do you remember hearing as a youngster the war stories being around? I, I would, yeah, I would, I would hear a bunch of war stories, you know, and then, and then I was kind of like Victor. I was really young when I was exposed to stuff. So I was a kid and I would, you know, I'd be on the porch at my aunt's house and I'd see people fighting. I'd see things happening. I would see, I didn't really see the drugs until later, but you know, I was kind of exposed to that lifestyle. And, and, and what, what you kind of said about fitting in, another thing is when we moved away from Santa Barbara, moved away from this area, we moved to like San Bernardino County. And at that time, the city where we moved to was all white kids, right? So they were constantly making fun of me, dude. We're in an elementary school. They're calling me a wetback, calling me a greaser. Um, and, and, and being mixed because my mom's, you know, white, native, and, and Mexican, it, it, I developed kind of like a self-hatred because of the way that the white people would treat me. Yeah. So that I gravitated towards the Chicano kids who just happened to be more like the gang kids. So it was like, I fit in there culturally more. When you showed up, were you dressing the part already? Yeah, I was already, I was already starting to dress like that, yeah. yeah. When I showed up on the scene, I was already starting to dress like that. And I used to, you know, even though I wasn't jumped in or officially from the gang, I would always say, you know, because my family's from there. I'm from Eastside SB. I'm from Eastside SB. Yeah. And, and do you, because usually... You know, we wear that uniform, whatever the style is at the time of being a gangster for, you know, in my time, it was baggy clothes, as baggy as you could get them, creased up. And you kind of wear that as a, as a shield almost so you don't get approached. But you found because, do you think it was because you were one of the only ones that they, that they didn't um, seem intimidated? Well, when, when the kids used to pick on me or? Yeah. When you well, would that, I was really young. At that time, I wasn't dressing like that. I was just gotcha. just a little kid. So, gotcha. I, I wasn't. They they just didn't like me because I was Mexican. Yeah. All right, Vic, on the way in. Oh, I was thinking about the clothes thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I remember when the the uh, the homie gave me my first pair of cutoffs, right? <laughs> and I remember, I remember because. That was the uniform, right? The dickies, the cutoffs. Um, that was just like it was the uniform, but it was a symbol that we were different, right? And so, um, I think you know, growing up, in, growing up in in SB, and I was talking to somebody about this earlier, and how I always knew there was kind of like two parts to it, right? Yeah, and how there was. You know, I, I went to Cleveland, so there was like the 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 us that on the east side, and then there was the kids that live in the hills behind Cleveland, right? So it was kind of it was a little different, right? So most of us got along, but but I remember going we went on a field trip one time to one of the kids' house. That's how I could tell the difference, right? And so um as as you know, I think about my mom and her being a single parent coming from Mexico. There, there was no way that she was going to stop me and my brother from doing what we we're going to do. There was no way, right? No matter, no matter how house, the, no matter how clean the house was, no matter if we always ate, no matter if we had everything we needed, there were just, uh, there were just some things missing, right? And, uh, you know, I know Philip could, uh, could, 
to feel me on this one, but the emotional support, right? The help with school, like none of that was existing, right? Um, my mom didn't have those skills, right? So there was no way that she could sit there and talk to me about gangs, right? And so uh, Philip makes a good point is instead of denying the fact that there are things going around and denying the fact that, you know, um, that our kids can get in trouble. I mean, I mean, accepting the fact that there are things there and then, and then creating a plan as a parent. What can you do? Asking for help, right? Asking for help is a big thing. And sometimes, sometimes in, in, in some cultures, you know, it's hard to ask for help. People don't want to ask for help, right? A man's supposed to be a man and a mom's supposed to be a mom in, in whatever situation. And um, <clears throat> I guess um, having communication, you know, I, I haven't always been in my daughter's life like you guys have been in your kid's life. But I, I, de- I, 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 I develop skills and I learned that if I'm able to talk to my daughter and, and, and be open and honest with her, um, then, then we could find a solution, right? Um, my daughter knows a little bit about. She knows about my history, and now we. She's about to be sixteen, so we could talk a little bit more about now, right? I show her pictures, and and she sees stuff, and she laughs about it, right? And, and but I don't, I don't glorify it, and I tell her, I like look the choices that the choices that I made. This is why I was gone for your life for so long. And this is why, you know, I have to play catch up mm-hmm. in my life. So, I, like, I, I mean, being being honest with the kids, you know, um, a lot of times Mexican moms don't want to accept the fact that their kids are are troublemakers, right? Because Mexican moms coddle their sons so much, you know. And I see it. I was the same way, you know. My mom was my mom was a big enabler. And she, but she didn't know it. She did not know it, you know. But I think communication is the key, right? We can't. Um, it's hard to. Um, it's hard to tell a kid. You know, it's hard to tell the future to a kid sometimes because they're so young and they can't see that far ahead, right? I think with us as adults, we've already we've already experienced some stuff. Right. And so we could kind of see like, okay, if I do this, this, this could happen. Right. So I think um, just being present, being present for the kids. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's like one of the most important things. Right. And, and I guess that me, and I've learned this recently, uh, sacrificing a little bit of my life. Right. But it's okay. Right. I've done enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree 100%. When you say communication, you know, in my case, uh, I was the firstborn. I had one little brother, three little sisters, and a lot of responsibility was given to me by my parents, and they were absolutely open um, with what was going on in life as it was happening. And me being young, it, it did it did weigh on me a little bit. And I didn't know this at the time. I thought I was just being strong. I didn't know until, you know, years down the road when you go through stuff of how you feel, how it affected you. But I know, I know for a fact that 
because I seen them as humans that when I, w- when I was in the gang that I was able to know that, uh, to have confidence that I had these caring people to go back to and that no matter what happened, that I was, that I was loved and that even though I've created all these faults along the process of being, you know, living that life, that they were actually, they had created men, they had many mistakes themselves and them sharing not only their successes and everything they did right, but everything that they've done wrong in life as well, helped me relate to them and have this rapport with them that, that I started to, to realize that I couldn't get with the homies, you know, cause everyone has their, their guard up. You never really get to know somebody real because everyone's faking the funk. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, communication was was uh, was big, and I, I practiced that, you know, as well, with, with my kids. I think you said a, a good thing when you said uh, you saw your parents as a human being, right? I think sometimes I know sometimes I see, and sometimes I forget. Like, so I I have this boundary with my daughter where yeah, I'm a parent, and this is what's gonna happen, right? This is how you're gonna, this is how we're gonna interact, but. I've learned to be a little bit more emotional and, and explain and share things with her, right? Yeah. Um, she see me get hurt. She see me, you know, she see me get emotional. She, she knows what kind of person I am, right? Um, she's see me, she sees me get upset. She sees me get happy. She sees me get sad, right? Like I don't try to portray something, but I think the most important thing that she sees is how I live my life, right? And so, I think being able to, um, my, my, my mom was like angry or really happy. Vic, you keep going, you keep going in and out Vic, to where. Probably, it's probably because I'm moving when I move, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, you might have to like stay as still as possible. I, well, I'll put a seatbelt on. <laughs> Should have stayed in the car, huh? Or it could be your microphone, but yeah, you go in and out, and I don't want to miss, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're saying. It's very valuable. What about, what about now? Right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. Like being able to show our our our, um, our kids our emotions. You know, I think that's really important. Yeah, I agree, one hundred. All right. So, what do we do as parents? If if we if we weren't able to prevent them, but now your kid is involved in the gang, yeah. Philip, man, I've I've never personally had that experience, but there's been kids in my family um, that I've that have, that have been around me that have ended up joining and, and doing things like that. But as a parent, uh, I've never really had to had to deal with my kid being in a gang. My Kids did get in trouble a little bit, kind of hanging around with taggers and stuff like that. So it's just uh, my thing is just holding them accountable. Those are the decisions you want to make. You're going to get in trouble for doing something, then you're going to be held accountable. I'm not going to bail you out of jail. I'm not going to. I'm not going to enable you. I'm not going to pretend like what you're doing is 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 right because I know that it's wrong. Um, so just it just again it goes goes on to being honest and and not being an enabler. Mm-hmm. 
but I mean, it, most, it's, they, they say that it's only like 5% of people that are actually in a gang that commit crime. So most gang members are just like normal people. They just happen to be, we just happen to be in a gang and, and, and most people don't, um, you know, leave the gang lifestyle by getting killed or, or going to jail, which those are the consequences of it a lot of times, unfortunately, but most people just grow up and become normal human beings. You know, so we have to understand that even if your kid makes that mistake, then it's not something that's, that's permanent if you could work through it. You know, it, you can make some permanent uh, decisions that have, have permanent consequences if you're not, um, you know, safe about it, but we can't just let it slide. Yeah, and, and that's true, but it still is scary as a parent knowing that your kid may be one of those that just end up growing through that phase, but they could just be in the wrong place the wrong time with the wrong people, you know? And so that's, what's really scary about even thinking like, it's okay. It's okay that you dress like that, son. It's okay that you want to go hang out on, on the, on the block with the guy's son, because just be, for that reason, you know, that, but now what's different now is that we don't have that same uniform. Like we used to dress distinctly different than everybody else. Now it's kids dressed like skaters. Like my kids have never dressed like homies. They dress like skaters and things like that. But uh, it is scary, bro. I remember one time um, getting a call at six o'clock in the morning that my 17 year old son got arrested with his friends. And, um, you know, I won't get into the details of the whole thing. And it, it ended up being really kind of nothing. But I remember crying on the way to the police station, you know, just like in tears, man, trying to get myself together. Like, I don't want this for my kid. I don't want my son going in and out of uh, jail or, or getting busted or being on probation or being in the system like I was when I was a kid. And it's a completely different thing. When you look at gangs as, as, a, as a teenager, for instance, it looks cool, looks really glamorous. But when you look at it through the eyes of an active parent, because there's a lot of people that are not active in their kids' lives, so they don't really care. They might even think it's cool. But someone that, that really loves their kids, that's active, that's there to raise them, that stuff's going to hurt you, man. So, uh, sorry, some kind of message popped up on it. Um, but, yeah, we, we just got to be there. We got to work through it. We got to let them know that's not cool. And I just remind them of the consequences. How many people in our family do you know that are doing life in prison right now? Because there's a few of them that are doing life in prison. How many, have you, how many of your uncles or, or uh, my compadres that you're really close with haven't you seen in 10 years, 8 years, 7 years because they're in prison? That's the, those are the results of that whole gang lifestyle. Yeah. Not to mention, they, they, my kids have buried their friends. They've seen me bury my friends or, or my, my friend's kids. They've seen us go to all these different funerals and things like that. So they, they know the consequences of it. And I'll tell you one thing. It's, like, it's really hard to bury one of your friends. But to watch your son bury one of his best friends because of violence, that, that was like an, a heartbreak on another level for me. Yeah, no doubt. Vic, you have any experience? With the uh, um, can you hear me better now? Uh, it's still muffly. Kind of freezing, so maybe it's a reception. Where about you, now? you might want to just switch to your phone, bro. Let me uh, let me, uh um, okay, let me try something else. Yeah, so I'll go with, with, with my experience. And fortunately enough for me, I, none of my kids went that way. And, you know, and I, um, I feel very fortunate for that. I did my best 
I did my best to not glorify it as much as possible. And if anything, try to make it seem like it was, it was kind of a lame move to do. So they weren't, they weren't attracted to that type of lifestyle and, uh, you know, really speaking with them, being real with them, like we said before, and uh, sharing my experiences, no, no holding back because I didn't, I didn't want to portray something that asked them to be something that, um, and, and ask them not to do things that I didn't, that I didn't know firsthand. And so I think that helped a lot with them where they weren't attracted to that and they wanted to stay away from that lifestyle. But remembering back to when I was a, when I was a kid, I know that even though I started being heavy in that life, it, still my parents didn't waver. Like my mom would literally drive up to Franklin school at night and, and shine the van lights looking for me and, you know, <laughs> would scatter. That and, was me. That was me. <laughs> yeah. Try to run away, you know, and it wasn't, um, and, and all my court dates and all my, my, um, getting took into the house in handcuffs or them having to come pick me up from juvenile hall or, or the police station every time they came and I, I would get taken in and I'd be in, um, in the reception area. And it was a difference of the parents answering their phone and coming to pick you up that I would leave and the homies that went with me would have to stay. And although at the time I know I didn't show any appreciation for it because the very next day or the very next weekend, I'd go out and do my thing again that stuff still sat with me. It's like, I knew, I knew that I had unconditional love and especially somebody like me who grew up with, with love in our home and, and parents being there. Um, I started to see that the homies that I were kicking it with, staying out late, doing drugs, doing what they wanted. I started to see that it wasn't a choice. They were doing that because their parents didn't care. They were doing that because nobody cared if they came home or not. You know, and, and that really helped open my eyes to where I, uh, to, to start changing and, and keeping open and valuing the relationships that I, that I had at, at home. And so I think with me, if I can interject, it's like yeah. my parents cared. My dad didn't, he used to, he used to not, he used to always tell me stuff about being a homie and about being a cholo, things like that. They cared, but my parents were both addicts. My dad was an alcoholic and my mom was a drug addict during those teenage years. So they were so far lost in their addiction that I just slipped through the cracks. And then when they, when they tried to correct me, it's like, well, you guys aren't living right anyway. So I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I was just defiant. I just did, I did it. And so for me, the whole gang thing was more of an escape. I just, it was, it was just an escape. I had fun. We laughed. We were together. We had these people that we backed each other up and we were loyal towards one another. But then you go home and you've got all of this crazy stuff going on that you just don't want to be around. So I think as a, as a parent, like uh, Vic says, it's, it's just so important to be present. I think maybe, maybe one of the big differences for my kids was that I was always present. There's, there's never been a time in their life where they, could say that I wasn't present. I was always there and I made a heck of a lot of mistakes and they had to go through a lot of things because of relationship issues and so on. But I was there, man. I was there at their games. I was there at their practices. And you know, I can remember 
coaching basketball coaching my son's team and there was this little kid that used to act up he was really good but he'd act up and he'd act really cocky and really rebellious right and so I talked to his mom one time I go I don't know what's going on with this kid and she says well you know what it is is his dad when his dad got divorced from me he started another family and he said you know the little boy would call his dad every Friday to tell him what time the game was and his dad would say okay I'll be there but never show up so then I started watching this kid would look in the stand before the gang before Mm -hmm. the game and then all of a sudden, his attitude would start. So I started thinking it different, you know. So, like, that, that's an at-risk kid because of what he was missing from his dad, his dad not being present, his dad not keeping his promises, his dad not keeping his word. Yeah. Hey, what, what about now? You sound good right now. Okay. Uh. Uh, um, I, I think it was the same thing, right? Like, with my mom, she – she would go looking for me, and she, she rolled up, too, when I was, like, 12. I remember that. 12. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how she found me. This was before cell phones, shoot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but she would go looking for me, and, and she would just, like, she would always pick me up late at night, pick us up, whoever it was, and, you know, but, um, like I said, she didn't, she didn't have the skills. And, and the thing was um, – I was never really taught too much as a little kid. And I think I started too young and I got adapted to that life. And so that life became normal to me because it's, it's all I really knew like at a young age. And I, and so, um, I've never doubt like my daughter, you know, she hasn't, she has cousins that are involved in gangs. And, and so, um, I, I see the lack of parenting with those kids, right? And it, it seems to be there's always something. It's either single single parent, um, you know, the common thread with single parent or addiction, right? And so, um, it, it's 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 really hard. I can't really say because I don't have the experience on saying what do you do with kids in the gang. I mean. My mom was always there for me. She would drive hours and hours to go visit me. She would always make sure I had money and and make sure I had food and whatever I needed. But what that did was like, well, I'm going to be cool if I go back to jail, right? Like, I'm going to be cool. And and I always got somewhere to go to home to, you know? And I remember one time my mom was like, she was really stressed out. And, and they used to have this program called Klein Bottle. I don't know if you guys remember, remember Klein Bottle? Yeah, yeah. And it was like one of the only programs Right. And so she tried to take me there one time and, and she was just like, she, she felt like begging me to change my life would do it, but that wasn't enough, you know? And, and, and so I, I get, I mean, man, it's, it's just so hard. You know, I had, I had a, um, I've, I've had like, I have constantly, I have parents reaching out to me you know, not at work, but just in, in my personal life, reaching out to me, what do they do with their kids? What can I do? You know? And and sometimes it, it, it's tough, but like Philip was saying, you got to create boundaries with your kids. You know, I have to create boundaries and, and rules with my daughter. I have to, you know, because, and, and she goes, dad, what if I, I, I go, she goes, what if I do this and that? I go, I go, you go get in trouble. You're going to learn your lesson straight up. And go, you want to go do something? Go do it, right? Real life, people aren't going to coddle you. People aren't going to uh, 
be like, oh, well, it's, it's okay, you know? I know that it didn't happen to me. You know, they didn't have programs when I was younger. I went straight to, like you said, Gilbert was straight to Juno Hall. You're the and, one you left behind. <laughs> <laughs> but one time she did. One time, no, actually, no, she was out of town. But, um, yeah. but you know, my mom's had to talk, you know, my mom has had to call, like, probation on me. And, you know, she just, I think she got to the point, sadly, where she just kind of realized, like, look, he's not going to change. You know, and it was me and my brother, too. So she had to deal with the double, you know. And, and so, oh, God. I think back now, I'm like, poor mom, you know. Like, now that I'm a parent, I think, like, damn, she had to, what the hell, you know. And and she stayed looking young for so long. I don't know how she did it, right. Because I've had my daughter for, like, a couple years, and I have gray, right. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. But, um, God, I mean, there has to be, you know, the parent is just as important in the kid in the situation when it comes to this, right? Because um, you can throw all the energy to the kid, but if the parent's not involved, it's, it's, it's really hard because you could teach the kid and keep on all these skills, how to interact at home or whatever, right? But if the parent is not with it, then that stuff stays at the door. You yeah. know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like, I guess the best way that I can compare it to is like, um, you know, like a treatment center, right? If you're in the program and 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 you learn everything you got to go do there, right? And you change yourself, but you go right back home to the attic, you're, gonna, you're putting back yourself back in the situation, you know? And so um, the parents have to be, it's like, it's not just the, it's not the parent or the kid. It's a... So dynamic, you know. Um, well, I think that I think that we all agree that once a kid's heavily involved, yeah. it's hard, especially as a single parent or uh, you know busy parents. Even two parents that just got to work all the time just to pay the bills, and they don't got the luxury of being able to spend time with their kids. So how? How can a community support that unit that we're that we're speaking about? I think it's important, especially for us that have kind of lived that lifestyle, um, to take responsibility for that. So we kind of created that stuff. Like a lot of the like the, a lot of the gang violence, unfortunately, they're just mimicking things that they saw us do or heard of us doing. So now that we know better and and. You know, we're friends with everybody from all these different neighborhoods. It's important for us to go back and let them know that those are only temporary things that are going on with them. That stuff's going to pass, you know, and it's important not to make life-changing decisions based on something that's temporary. You're not going to hate that dude from the west side or the dude from the east side when you're an adult. We're all going to be friends. So it's important to be truth tellers, mm -hmm. to tell the truth. Don't, don't sugarcoat us. Don't try to glamorize it when I was doing this, when I was doing that, because that's exactly what they're going to want to mimic. We just got to tell them, like, you know, the, the, the good and the bad of it and just tell the truth. This is where it leads. This is, this is how it's going to happen. And, and uh, you know, to go back, to give, to work with kids and to be good examples. You know, we can't, we can't say one thing and then be, be out there tagging gang stuff or acting like knuckleheads and things like that. People don't – people want to know that the message that you have of hope is real. But we can act in a, in a way that kind of discredits our whole message. So 
we have to be good examples. We have to not only be good parents, but we have to be good mentors and everything to the community. And anyone that says, well, I'm no mentor, I'm no leader, I'm no teacher. Well, you're just delusional. You're taking the, the easy way out because it really takes a community to stop all of this stuff. Parents are overwhelmed, you know, like uh, emotionally, uh, emotionally uh, bankrupt. You know, they, they don't, they can't deal with these things. They need people like us that can go in and help. Yeah, I mean, I see, I see that with the work that we do at Solid, just the relief on parents' faces that they're able to have something that they could bring their kids to that, that, is, that is helpful for them. You know, it may not be the answer to all, but at least it's a, it's a, it's a friend, it's a, it's a weapon, it's a tool in their bag now that, that they have. And I think as a community, and especially all the money that's here in Santa Barbara, there could be so much more for the youth than there is. And I know when it comes to specifically, um, you know, the, the, the kids we're talking about, the, the ones who are at risk or in trouble with gangs or at risk of being in gangs, those ones have kind of already been crossed off any type of when they hear, oh, okay, what kids are you serving? All oh, those type of kids, oh, they're, they're too hard to reach. And, you know, we really want to put our money there because they're just, they're too hard to control and they're kind of unlovable. Is, you know, some it's that, that like I, so untrue. I think we look at gangs as one separate problem. Gangs are just a symptom of problems that are going on with the youth. You know, like every kid is at risk. Every, there's, some, there's something that can suck a kid in, you know, there, there's, there's addiction and all these different things that can suck kids in. So it's like everybody is, is vulnerable to falling in one way or another. It's just the media and everybody else wants to make us like or make us or make gangs look like they're so much worse than everything else and incorrigible and, and, and can't come back when that's just not true. Here, and here, here's the thing. This is what sometimes upsets me, right? Is that so something like this happens, right? And it's really sad and devastating, right? And it takes something like this to get the attention, right? And, and, and people want to step up and help these kids in the situation which is cool right but when they're living this life every day day-to-day -day life people not everybody wants to step up and help these people they want to look at like well they're hurting our community yeah right they're hurting our neighborhoods but then when they get when something bad happens now they're a person but they weren't a person when they were out there acting a the fool and, and and i wasn't me personally, I wasn't acting the fool because I was raised like to be a bad kid. I was acting the fool because that's the only way I knew how to get attention, right? And I cannot think about, I can't, besides Matt, right? And when Hoods in the Woods first started mm -hmm. and that attention that we got, I can't think of anything else in my life, right? That were, were, people were consistent in supporting me and being like, hey, how you doing? How can I help you, right? It's not because, oh, here comes this kid with a shaved head wearing dickies, right? He's got to be up to something. Or you got to be, yeah, it was most of the time, but but I mean, if, if somebody could just be like, hey, come here, you know, what's going on? You know, how you doing, you know? But the thing is, is sometimes people want to reach out and help kids that are already doing kind of good because they don't want to deal with the resistance, right? Some of those, and, and I've seen how you, I, I've seen some of the kids that you work with, Gilbert, and I've seen their parents, and I'm like, this is cool, because 
I, I saw you when you first started and I would see how relief, like some of those parents would walk and they would come and get food because they needed help with food, right? Like it was a whole thing for them and it worked out beautifully there, right? But unfortunately, <laughs> right? You know, but Nothing, your program's, yeah. yeah, but your program's still going good, right? Because people didn't, didn't want to help out a certain population, right? Mm -hmm. Because it takes more of an effort to help out a certain population. It does take one, right? It does take effort and patience and, and understanding, right? But if a kid is already doing good, then it's, oh, yeah, let's encourage him to keep doing it. That's easy because the kid's already on the good track, right? That's easy, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I work with kids and, you know, I work with kids at my, at my job and, and I, I can't say that any of them are on the right track. It's just some are more open to, to it, right? And those kids are easier to work with because they're open to a certain type of change. But then there's some kids that don't want to change and there's some kids that are in the middle. But I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't throw all my energy into the one kid that wants to change. I still have to use the same energy on the kids that don't want to change. And the kid that's super resistant takes even more effort, right? But it's just, it, it, it sucks because when I, was a, when I was in elementary school, I was a gate student and I did good in school. And so then I got attention. But as soon as I started messing up, there it is, right? And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that I didn't, you know, some of the stuff that I did didn't deserve to put me in, in the places that I went to, right? Like, I knew what the consequences were, and I just didn't care, right? But if, if people want to help out these kids, it has to be consistent. It can't be like, oh, there's a rise in violence. Let's help these kids out for three months, because it doesn't stop after three months. It just, it just slows down. That's it, because it's been going on since we were kids. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I I know some people. You know, um, there is, you're right. There is there is a lot of money, and I don't want to get worked up. But there is, there is. That's what I like what you do with your your with your program, girls, because you're teaching kids, right? You're not telling them. You're teaching them, right? And that's that's really important to teach these skills, whatever skill it is, whatever they're trying to get through. You know. Yeah, we're, we're teaching them and we're, you know, the way we started, we started with the zero budget. There's no money. We didn't get a big grant and say, okay, let's put this grand scheme together. It was just doing it for free with, with my time, with my family's time. And then the kid, the kids finding value. And therefore, when you have your kids saying, I want to go learn how to, to box, I want to go work out, you know, I want to learn how to work with tools. As a parent, you're like, what can I do to make this happen? I got my kid telling me I, I want to go, you know, so it's the parents that have helped make this possible because of their drive that they want their kids to be, to be better. And, you know, uh, there is a lot of people who don't want to put their, their money up, but there are some out there and it's just going to take individuals like us to keep showing what we could do with the little bit we got and will come like we we recently at the end of last year it should be coming through this year we received a, a grant from from a foundation who just seen us on facebook and seen that what we're doing with the kids and not only that is we never we didn't shut down shut it all down because you know because covid and they 
kind of backed us up with with some with some funds right in time you know i don't everyone thinks nonprofit that for some reason they think everything's free but it's not the business and it needs it needs money to keep it going just like any other type of business so you know i'm hoping to be able to attract i'm really hoping to be able to attract more people and and really show prove them what we could do you know before before we even ask for it just prove it and have a track record that they could look back on for for a year or for years and i want them to i want them to see that these kids like kind of what you were saying vic they a lot of people want to help when kids are doing good and to me i see i see like the youth like like stocks and bonds right like usually investors they want to buy when the stock's doing good it's easy for them to put their money in but no one's really buying lower undervalued stocks right it's only your master investors who know the true value of an undervalued investment and that's what i see with a lot of this youth here in um in santa barbara is there their undervalued investments and we're pl- we're putting the work in we're putting we're planting those seeds right now and and it'll be maybe 5 10 15 20 years before we ever see any return but that's what it takes Because what else? What else are you gonna do? Wipe your hands of it and hope somebody else is gonna take care of it. And you know that that brings me to uh, to the mentors that what we touch base on is. Right now at Solid, besides work ethic, I'm I'm definitely no master in martial arts nor um, fitness. Uh, I know what I'm doing when it comes to work, but in the other two things, things I don't. Uh, you don't have to be a master to teach you just got to you got to have a heart and care and compassion and empathy for these youth and say you know some one thing really good you could teach a 5-year-old a 10-year-old a teen something that they may have never even thought to explore but you like uh, people in this community you all have a specialty that you do and it can be taught and there and there's there's kids out there who who want to learn it Oh. Yeah, I think if if I could just to kind of backtrack on what what you're saying like I you know you want to work with some kids that are doing good and and the other kids but we have to look at all kids as uh as equal and especially the ones that are doing badly that's all a result of trauma they don't know how to deal with trauma something that happened to them in the past something that they experienced at home something that happened to them in the community a lot of kids have experienced gone through racism you know all the stuff that they're now they're overexposed to all this other crazy thing so when we look at a kid instead of judging them for their behavior we have to understand this is just a deeper case of trauma i i understand that some of the things that happened to me when i was a little kid is what fueled my anger and violence itself is just unresolved anger they don't know how to deal with it they don't know what nobody want nobody gets up and decides well i want to go kill somebody they just get up and try to figure out a way to deal with the trauma and those yeah. are negative ways so We just have to look at kids from that standpoint that these are kids that have been through some traumatic things. Yeah, and I'll add to that too, Philip, the trauma and it's a it's a source of significance that you could get. If you're a nobody and society thinks, you know, you're you're nobody and you're no good and violence is a very easy way to get people's attention and to now all of a sudden be important. because hey you didn't listen to me when i was crying in the corner or getting pushed around or or hungry or or needing uh 
compassion just from another human while here now i'm gonna i'm gonna go make something happen Mm -hmm. and and, you know like that's that's another thing too is if we could make them feel important it is another uh, great tool that we could use that's so true because we we spent a lot of time um getting self-worth from all of the bad things we did and and people kind of looked at us because we had these big groups of people 20 30 deep walking on State Street, representing what we represented. And uh, we found self, self-worth self in it. And uh, other people were kind of nervous to be around us. So we, we did get seen, even though mm-hmm. it was a negative light and it ended up getting us in trouble. But Yeah, but we'll take it. We'll take it rather than nothing, rather than not being seen. I say this and sometimes it confuses people. Not everything that we did when we were in that gang lifestyle was bad. We built a lot of friendships, uh, friendships that we have to this day, you know, it was a lot of a lot of camaraderie uh, and loyalty and things like that. And I know there's a lot of fake people, and I know there's homies that aren't homies, aren't your friends anymore. And you know, I even when I started doing good, bro, when I decided I was gonna be a dad, take care of my kid, and work, I had homies turn on me. Yeah. You know, yeah. homies want to do me because I, I I want I'd rather be with my with my with my daughter and take care of her, and that's that's how it is. But there was also a lot of good, you know, you know, Victor and all these guys that have been my friends since I was a little kid, man, these are relationships that we built back in those days. And it's, it's a real blessing to be able to tell people like, you know, I like a lot of people that are going into recovery now. I, I, I talk to them, you know, I'll tell, tell Victor's story, what I know about it. I'll tell, you know, Jason Hernandez's story, different people's story. Like, yeah, I got this homie that, you know, he, he was uh, dealing with addiction for so long, but he's been clean for X amount of years. And this is what he does now. You know, so we're able to use those those things, and it's it's proud. So it's it's a different type of pride. Like before, it's like I'm proud of my homeboy because my homeboy's down. Now it's like, wow, I'm so proud of my homeboy because you know he's he's in his daughter's life. He's he's act he's an active parent. He's he's sober. He's doing all of these different good things. You know, one hundred. I think too it is um, our experiences, right? Allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. I. I, I don't I don't hide like my I don't hide I don't have my history as far as my recovery and what I've been through because um what I've learned is that I could be an outlet or a doorway for so many people. Yeah. Right? Whether it doesn't you know, like um mental health addiction is more mainstream now. It's not like it's not put to the side. So there's a lot of services for that. Right? So there's a lot of you know, a, a lot of places for kids and, and, and parents to turn to, right? And so um, I think making, make, allowing ourselves to be available, right? And not saying like, this is, this is just how I feel. Like, okay, I got to a certain point. I'm at a point now, right? And like, it, I don't, I had somebody that I love tell me, don't forget where I came from. I don't forget where I came from. Not, not, not to, I don't forget where I came from, so I don't go back there, right? So I don't make the same mistakes and go back there, right? Not that I have a shame for you, but I already lived that life. That 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 part of my life has happened, and that's an experience, right? Because it made me who I am today, right? And and so there's shame in some things that I've done, and there's you know, and some things that I've done, but in in all, that's who I was, and that's all I knew, right? And um. I guess, like you said, Gilbert, allowing her, you know, just not, not thinking that, you know, I've, I've gone, you know, I've, I've gone and, and helped, 
you know, like I've been blessed with the opportunity to be able to help people all the time where people call me and they need help and they reach out to me. Right. And, and I have resources for them that I've built up over the years. Right. And so the, the, the important thing about helping like one person, right. Is that that branches out, you know, you help this person and branches out. like, like for me, I'll use myself, for example, by me getting my life together, I'm able to be a father to my daughter. Right. And I'm able to be a friend, a good worker, and it kind of leaks out, right? So I think it's really important that as men, we kind of put that stigma away, that, that pride, that egotistical stuff, and, and allow ourselves to be, like, you know, vulnerable for, for like, like for our kids and for our community, whatever it is, right? Um, I have people that are close to me in my family that, you know, still do certain things, right? And I love them, but I can't be there with them all the time right because that's not the life that i live i can't be rolling around doing something and then turn around and, and try to like and, and try to help somebody else in the same area you know so i try to you know um be the best example as possible through my actions because i can talk good when i've learned to talk over the years right <laughs> i got a mouthpiece i don't know where it came from Right, but it's it came from somewhere, right? I got it's a bless actually it's a blessing because I'm able to talk, right? Because I was never able to talk, but um, I I guess just you know um, give, giving back, giving back, right? Um, whatever it is, it doesn't always have to be money. Do you know like a thirty minute conversation with somebody? You know, you know, I've I've had like 20, 30 minute conversations with people, and, and they've just the relief that it brings them is like it's so rewarding. Right, I because I know in my life I've I've had that thirty conversation thirty minute conversations for myself with so many people and how much it's helped me and the weight that it takes off of my shoulders and, and you know and and it normalizes things right we want to whatever whatever we whatever a person does if 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 everybody in your family drinking is normal then then that's that's like a normal thing right. Mm-hmm. you know you don't you don't have to be part of it but it's just that's what it is it's normal and how do you adapt to it right and so um i i, I guess just being a, a, available just i mean i just i just remember the moms that would drop off their kids to your program and like how like you know like how grateful they were and, and some of them would walk over there some would go on bikes you know but they were just they were just like so grateful and cool and, and when we would help try to help more, they, they felt like they were, you know, like, like they already had enough. Like, no, no, it's cool. We, we yeah. can keep helping you. It's cool. It's not a big thing. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, and I think sometimes it's hard though for some people. I think, you know, I think in the Mexican culture, sometimes there's pride and we don't want to accept help sometimes. You know, we don't always want to accept help and, and it gets in our own way. You know, it gets in our way, you know, and, and I think, um, as men, us as men, more importantly, if we can show that it's okay to be vulnerable, it's, if it's okay, to, if it shows that it's okay to ask for help, I think it, it, it makes it okay for like our young boys and our young men to be like, 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 oh, you know. And I don't, I don't think that's spoken enough about either. You, you hear a lot about, you know, trauma, generational trauma when it comes to drugs, alcohol, sex abuse. But you don't really hear too much about like toxic toxic masculinity. The yeah. you can't you can't show emotion. 
You know, you can't speak about your feelings. This is how a man acts. And a lot of that one is all BS because usually the person teaching that is going and doing it behind your back. You know, what he's, he's being a hypocrite or he's, he's so messed up inside that he's turned to drugs or alcohol and that's how he kind of covers it because no, no healthy human being can go through life without showing or, or feeling emotions, you know, and you pass that on to your, to your kids and they don't know what to do with the feelings that they're, they're feeling on a daily basis, especially as they're hitting their teenage years, the people that they could hopefully trust the most, their parents, um, and dads play such a big part when, when they are there, unfortunately they could be doing a lot of, they do a lot of damage, but you know, unknowingly, just passing on what, what they've known. So I, it, there's AA classes, there's Narcotics Anonymous, there's, there's all these, there's classes to get help in, but I don't think anybody ever thinks about getting, you know, ther- God forbid you do therapy, right? Because how's that gonna make you look? Even though all the, all the most successful people in the world, they all have coaches. They all got people they could talk to they don't hold all this stuff into themselves. So I would say, you know, like we spoke upon earlier, it's a unit that if you got your kids into something, you got to get yourself into something too, whether it's a a personal coach, whether it's a therapist, counselor, something that someone that's just a little bit more successful than you. Maybe you see them, they have their family a certain way that you like, but go out and talk, be open, and, and like I said, be vulnerable. vulnerable. It's not a weakness. You, you know, the, you know, Gil, like you don't even have to be like more successful than the person, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, um, it's just a, a, a gateway, a gateway to vent, right? Just yeah. to have somebody to like, get that, let me get this stuff off of me. Right. And, and so you, you, that's what I, I, that's, I think what that's like, I think Phil talked about that earlier. Feel like I don't feel like I have the potential to do that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but like human beings, like we're meant to be with each other. You know, I, 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 I just think about I, I think about one time when I was in, I was I was locked down and I had just got arrested and I was by myself for days and I was just like I was like I'm not supposed to be alone and like how my brain started working, right? And so I remember like like me now I like to be around people and, and when we talk about the masculinity. I can't even say the word masculinity, right? Yeah. Like what's crazy for me, when I reach out for parenting advice, when I reach out for like suggestions on raising a teenage daughter, right? I I, I swear like 95% of the time I'm reaching out to, to female friends that I have, right? Female mentors that I have. Because I'm gonna get like, a, um, I'm gonna get a different perspective than mine. And so if I have my male perspective, I have the female perspective, then I have like this, you know, because I was raised by a single mom. So like a woman was always my authority, you know, my authority figure, you know? And so um, my, my, so, I mean, like you said, kind of for men, like I feel when I had the tattoos on my face, the shave head tattoo on my head, dressed a certain way, in and out of all these places, I thought like I was a man, but I knew I was lying to myself. 
when I started becoming vulnerable and sharing things and becoming open and letting all this damn stuff out of my, all this junk out, that's when I was able to be like, okay, I was able to look in the mirror and be like, okay, you're a man. But I couldn't do that when I was doing all the other stuff. But when I became more vulnerable with myself, it made me a stronger person. And I'm, I mean, I don't walk around crying and doing all that, right? Right? My, my emotions come out in, in smiling and being nice to be and saying, what's up? You know, that's how they come out now because I'm yeah. comfortable with myself. But even if but, it was crying, that wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. I should learn to cry more, though. It's kind of hard sometimes. It is, man, but 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 that stuff's important, bro. And we've yeah. got to we've got to give like our kids the license to to have those feelings as well. You know, I saw one of my friends, and he, he he had posted. He says like emotions are for the weak, mm -hmm. and I'm like, no, man, you that's just your way of expressing how wounded you are because you don't know how to deal with your emotions. And, and we've got to we've got to learn how to deal with them. We've got to be like, we've got to learn how to to deal with our anger in a productive way, to deal with our sadness in a productive way, to deal with our grief. You know what I mean? When I lost my dad, it's almost been two years. Two years ago, it jacked me up, dude. It jacked me up, but I found like a few people that I could talk to about it, or I'd even express myself. Sometimes I'll post things and I'll express myself, and then I'll wonder, well, maybe I'm sharing too much. And then somebody will hit me in my DM and they said, you know, I really appreciate you posting that. That meant something to me. Or I'll try to post something or I'll say something positive, and it's not because it's something that I figured out or something that I've obtained or some goal that I've already reached. It's just these are a thought that came to me, something that I read, something that came to me through prayer. And I share it, you know what I mean? And this is, this is where I want to be. I want to be positive. I want to be successful. I want to be uh, well-rounded mentally. And I don't share those things because I'm there. I share them because I'm trying to get there. And, and a lot of people hit me in my DM, dude. And especially, I remember talking about um, opening up, not to segue into something else, about opening up about being sexually abused as a kid. It took me through my 30s before I could even remember or speak about that. But then when, when, when I felt like God started dealing with me and I started opening up about it and I realized that a lot of us had rage because we all went through that and we didn't know how to deal with it. And so many people have hit me on the low and said, like, you're, you're talking about something that I wish I could talk about, but the words can't even leave my lips. But I really appreciate you saying it because I need to deal with this. This is why I'm an alcoholic. This is why I'm so angry because I feel like. I wasn't a man because I couldn't protect myself. But no, we were just vulnerable children that things happened to, you know? So it's important to share those things. And, and those are like extreme examples of being vulnerable, I think. And it's really, really hard. And some people can share it. Some people can't. But somebody somewhere is going to benefit from it. Somebody somewhere is going to begin the process of healing just by us sharing our stories. And what, where did you find that strength, Philip? Uh... The whole thing, like, uh, like I said, like what happened to me when I was a kid, I didn't even remember it until I was in my 30s and I was going through a really bad time in my life where, to the point where I was even contemplating suicide a lot, you know? And um, it just all started coming up. And then I started figuring this stuff out. And I, I go, I don't, I've got kids that, that, that need me and I can't leave this earth. I can't, I, can't, I can't leave them alone. So I've got to try to figure it out. So I just started reading, bro. I started reading. I started listening to people talk about um, things that they had gone through. And it's crazy because a lot of like the um, like a lot of the heavy duty gang members and stuff like that that had reformed their lives and everything. They all had the similar story. But it's so taboo, especially to speak about sexual abuse. It's so taboo to talk about it. And in our culture, it's just something that's swept under the rug. And that's why it's continually repeated. 
You know, people don't, people won't run front their, their, their family member off. People don't want to, you know, they'll talk about people that are snitches, but they'll never talk about people that are child molesters. Cause then you got to front your own homies off or, or, or people that have done things to girls that were drunk and, and all these different things. So I started dealing with all of that stuff and the, and, and then understanding that I had to talk about it with someone, I had to share it with somebody. And then, like I said, people just started hitting me on, on my DM or calling me and saying like, Hey, I gone, I've been through that too. This happened to me when I was a kid. Um, now I, now I'm starting to understand why I was so angry. Uh, and it kind of empowered me more to share my story, to talk about it, you know? And I just did it the other day with somebody, somebody that's going through recovery, been in prison for many years, got out, um, and we kind of shared the stories, you know, not getting into the details of what happened to us, but yeah, this happened to me when I was a kid. This is what messed me up. And he's like, yeah, well, this is, this is why I went through so many years of addiction and so many years of prison and things like that. There's somebody that's suffering from the same things that we've gone through that could really benefit from us just telling our truths. And that's hard, man. That's hard. But it's like, like once I, I read like Musashi is one of my favorite artists, uh, one of my favorite authors, the book of the five rings. And he says, you know, uh, get to the point where you're no longer living for yourself, but for the greater of the world, the greater good of the world. And, and you know, I've been very selfish in my lifetime, but, but now it's like, there's gotta be a point to all of this. And there's gotta be something that could help someone or something that could maybe inspire someone or, or help someone to heal and break that cycle. Like I said, all these kids that are killing each other, man, they're just doing it out of trauma. It's just anger that's not resolved. And if someone was, some of those, some of the, some little kids somewhere is gonna pull a trigger, but if somebody was to tell them before that, I understand what you went through, I went through that myself, and it doesn't have to end that way, you can heal, you can become normal, you can have a good life, it could change everything. But unfortunately, we're, we're so guarded that we miss a lot of opportunities to help change somebody's life for the better. Yeah, and it needs to come from more people like us that look like us. If we're going to be relate, that they're even going to be open to to hearing it, right? For the most part. Vic, how did you how did you conquer? You're, you're here for. I know your mom was was uh, there for you. You still went through your stuff, but a lot of the things that came through from your generational, you know, family stuff that's happening, you want it to be changed for, for your daughter and the path you were on, you've, you've changed from that. So what gave you the strength? For, for me, it was a spiritual thing because I'm not really a strong person, right? I always needed drugs or alcohol or tattoos or the homies stacked this certain way. Right. Um, I can never be myself. Um, I had to see the bottom with drugs. Right. Um, I, I left the program one time. Actually, Philip went and picked me up. Right. I didn't and, even know you were <laughs> And I was there for 30 days, but I wasn't ready. I was just there. And, and after those, um, I was out there for a few more months on the streets and I hit my bottom and like, I had never felt like I was just so lost. And, and yeah, I went back to the same program. And even when I was there, um, I, I didn't I didn't want to change because like I that's all I knew and I was already 34 years old and but when I was there I, I had I had I realized that you know um when I was 16 years old and I was in YA I remember a lady coming in and, and teaching me about God and 
that uh, she's one of the few adults that you know that I could mention like in my life that you know put some effort to me and and she touched and I remember that and I remember that feeling and that touch that I had and I always always wanted that back right and then when I was in at the program in Santa Monica um I didn't think about that but like I couldn't chase that I couldn't go after that because the ego and the pride was in the way and I had to be you know I had to act a certain way and be a certain way to like to survive in certain facilities and so I couldn't be who I really was deep down the side and what I wanted to be but when I was at the break at the program like I was there and I was like and I sat there and I was like damn it just came to me like I didn't like myself anymore and I didn't know who I was I didn't like myself and I didn't know who I was and I had to do something for me it was a spiritual thing I got on my knees and I started praying and I asked God to change my life I didn't care what nobody thought or anybody said anymore. I cared about that for too long. And it was, a, it was a process, right? It was a long process. I had to do a lot of work, a lot of counseling, a lot of 12-step work, a lot of being vulnerable, a lot of praying, a lot of meditation, a lot of giving up little, beha little behaviors. I couldn't change everything right away. It was no way after living a certain life for 27 years, I was going to change everything in six months, right? It was impossible, but it was an investment and it was the start. And I was willing to change. I was willing to change because I had suffered enough, right? And, and, and unfortunately, that's what happens. You know, that's what changes a lot of people in their older age, right? And so um, I always wondered, there was a point in my life where my stepdad was in my life for like two years, married my mom, my sister's dad. And I remember there was a little bit of stability there because there was two parents and there was a male figure in my life. He wasn't my dad, but I still loved him and I respected him, right? And I still do to this day, right? Because he was like, he's when I look at a positive role model in my life, positive role model in my life, he's what I look look up to and what I what I saw. But I think like, what if he was still around? Would I even have been on this journey? I don't think I would have. I think if they were, I think if he was still around, I think so. But it wasn't his fault, right? You know, adults go through stuff. Relationships don't always work. But um, but I had to, you know, it 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 took to understand a kid. If a kid gets that attention and and whatever that guidance at a young age, it can protect them from like all this all the stuff that I had to go through to get to where I am today. I have no regrets because I love who I am today because of everything I went through. I could understand and see certain things that some people might not be able to see, and I'm okay with it. I missed a lot of stuff. I never went to high. One regret in my life, I never graduated. I never went to high school graduated, right? And I never went to no damn prom or no dances. I'll tell you, I was gone for all those years, right? Uh, um, but it took a lot of sacrifice, a lot, uh, a lot of willingness. And, and um, you know, I still, I still deal with some stuff. Some stuff still comes up once in a while. Um, you, you know, um, I, I continue to, I don't ever want to say, um, you know, the mistake that a lot, I think a lot of people made that dealt with trauma, whether it's like what Philip went through or I went through, right, is that a lot of times people want to say, hey, I'm perfect, I'm wild, nothing's wrong with me, right? But that can have an effect on the people if, if you, you know, if, if, if I don't accept the fact that I'm a recovering addict, right? And then that means I don't have to work on myself. And that means I start going crazy. And that means 
I have an effect on my daughter. And if I have an effect on my daughter, then it just trickles down. So I think as, as also as, as men, we have to accept the response. I have to, we have to accept the responsibility of whatever we have going on, you know, and not care about what the other person says. There's only really one person I care about that what they think of me, and that's my daughter. Uh, it's not like I'm an a-hole or nothing like that. I just can't, you know, everybody has their own thing going on. I care about what my daughter thinks about me because I'm her male role model. I'm her dad. So I want her to see me a certain way. So I don't act that way. I just be that way. That's who I am. You know, I've taken her with her with me to do stuff in the community. She's been there to help me out with stuff. And, 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 I, and I watch, and I, it's such a blessing, you know, when I see her do the stuff that she's learned from watching me. Not the old me, right? That like she'll ask me, she lo- this is what she loves to do. She loves to get in the car, go on the ride, and take a ride around the east side because she likes to know where I grew up, right? And she's like enamored by it, right? And I tell her, oh, this is like where I used to, you know, she, and it's cool, right? Because she's like this little girl looking up to me, but she's a teenager. Yeah. She's not always that little girl, but, you know, <laughs> you, know you gotta go there, with me. <laughs> right? There's times where, you know, I, in in the business, in, in my family business, we, uh, we're in the office furniture business. Sometimes we got to go pick up office furniture, right? And a lot of the manufacturers are in LA. And it's just funny because you say how you, you drove your daughter through the east side. No, yeah. Yeah. it's the hood right but if you drive through a hood in la compared to driving through the east side like no there's yeah. no santa barbara that <laughs> can compare to to the hood like you literally drive there and you just feel depression despair you just see trash everywhere spray paint boarded up windows drug addicts just walking around and it's like you almost feel like oh, no, no one, no one has a chance. But here in Santa Barbara, do you guys think there's any strategy or any type of way that there would never, not never, but there could be a way where there is no more gang violence in Santa Barbara? I, I think we got to be honest with ourselves. Gang violence can happen anywhere. I mean, you would see Santa Barbara just got hit hit pretty bad. So it doesn't really matter how, how bad a place is or, or, or any of that stuff. I mean, obviously, the numbers will be a little bit different. But one kid getting killed is too many kids getting killed. And until we start addressing the bigger issues of, of, of trauma, of, you know, a parenting, a community breakdown, poverty. Poverty is a huge thing. You know, there's a lot of parents that are – both parents are gone, so they can't pay attention to their kids because they're poor and they have to work. So until we address those uh, social and economical issues, there'll never be an end of gangs. You know, there'll never be an end. You could, you could curb gang violence, and we have done that in Santa Barbara before. We, we put our heads together with a lot of different people and curb gang violence in this area and things like that, but we've got to address the root. You know, you can't just look at, at, at the... the look at one symptom and think, okay, how can I conquer that symptom? Like what, what's the sickness? So until we can conquer the sickness, there's not even a chance of any of that stuff. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. But we could have, we could have a, a, a much less violent community, a much more uh, caring community, a community that backs each other up and helps each other out. We can have a lot of those good things. I'm not, I'm not trying to like uh, kill all the hope. Cause I believe there's yeah. some, we wouldn't be doing any of this work if we didn't have hope. 
You're right. You're right. And I, and I think also that, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm asking that question, I'm kind of thinking if maybe we had all the resources at our disposal and we kind of had everybody that, that was chipping in to do their part, if, if you could see, I, and the reason why I compare it to LA is because it's not like where you walk across the wrong street and you're in this neighborhood you know, Santa Barbara, you can, you can walk everywhere and you can, and you could typically be safe when you're with your family. You know, it's, there's been times I'm sure when you guys were, were younger as well, where there was still that respect, you were with your family and they were going to leave you alone. And, you know, that's not the case in, in a lot of other places. So that's why I ask in Santa Barbara, I mean, we're still. It is different, but I think with Santa Barbara, there's a, there's a different type of hurt that has to be dealt with because Basically, gangs are just young, disenfranchised kids who who uh, unionized, mm -hmm. you know. So in Santa Barbara, you have these ultra-rich people, and everybody from outside of Santa Barbara think, well, you're from Santa Barbara, you're rich. No, actually, I'm not, man. I'm from the east side or I'm from the west side, and there's a lot of poor people that are just barely making it. We're the ones that cut the lawns, watch your kids, wash your dishes, clean your houses, and do all of the labor. We're really poor. So we feel super disenfranchised from from all of these rich people. We don't relate to them. We don't know who they are, even though we, people try to lump us in with them. Uh, so when you're disenfranchised, it causes other issues. You know, that's what, that, it makes you angry. Even it's, when you're like in a situation like LA, you live in Skid Row and everything, that's all you've ever seen. Everybody's poor around you. But unfortunately, we got to look at some of the richest people in the world just to remind us of how poor we are. You know, so that, that, that causes, causes other problems of disenfranchisement. Gotcha. Vic, you got anything to weigh in on that? Yeah, it's kind of a hurtful situation because I just think about like Ortega Park, how it used to be. And and I think about like all the stuff, like when we grew up, how, you know, there's like a lot of mom and pop stuff and all these, you know, like Paul Norteño was gone. Like that was like, damn, they took that, you know, all they took. Like they take all these little spots away, you know, and they keep raising the rent and they, you know, gentrification is like real in Santa Barbara, you know, and it sucks because it it, it doesn't, it, yeah, it's a beautiful city. Everybody should have a right, deserve a chance to live in a beautiful city like that. Not just because, oh, I have more money, you, you don't belong here, you need to move over there or you need to get out of here, you know, it's, I saw it when I was living in, in, in Santa Monica in the Venice area, same thing was happening over there. They're pushing people out inland, you know, and, and it sucks, you know, but, um, but I don't know. That's just like a whole other thing. And, and um, I don't know. I, I just saw my mom struggle growing up, you know, just to get by, you know, and, and, and you're right. Right. Cause all those beautiful houses you talk about, like right behind the East side. Right. Yeah. Right behind the her, Right. Yeah. You know, and, and so, um, but like it's two, it's whole two different worlds. You know, you go down the hill and it's a different world. And nobody you know? wants to admit that we exist, though. That's the thing is like everyone talks about Santa Barbara. They just want to talk about the Riviera or Montecito. They don't talk about yeah. the East. No, people don't know. I used to, you know, when I, when I, and, and I grew up in Santa Barbara and I saw it when I was working and, and handing out food and dropping off food boxes to houses, I would see it even more, you know. I'd see all these people living in this one little house or sharing this one little space, you know, like, you know, and just sort of sur surviving, you know, and, and 
and, and these people are they're not they're not trying to hurt they're just trying to survive you know and, and unfortunately sometimes the kids of these people trying to survive don't get the attention because a lot of times the mentality of these people are to survive put food on the table have the lights on have water running have you know have these things and clothes and and sometimes that that because they're not making as much money and they have to pay these high rent these high bills they have to sacrifice a lot and and, and these kids are unfortunately sometimes the, the sacrifice you you know and so i guess you know yeah. if, if we understand as adults that any little time and energy we can spend with our kids is really important you know yeah. Um, sometimes my daughter calls me out on that. <laughs> She's like, "Dad, we need to go on a ride because I got school and I work, and you know, I got my recovery going on. And so I, I have to make, I have to be mindful and be like, look, this is going to be the time with my daughter, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, I, I've, I've, you know, as a parent, I made that mistake of overworking, you know. And so yeah. it starts. It really starts. It really starts in the home. You know, it really, really starts in the home, and 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 um, and if you know, if people are out there that have a heart and and want to lend their resources for the right reason, not for the glamour, not for the glory, not for anything else, you know, because that that's that's cool and everything, right? But if people are just doing it for just a small amount of time. I just can't, I can't see just helping people for like three months and say, okay, I'm out of here. You know, it's like people are struggling every day. My work is done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's crazy. It has to become your lifestyle, you know? Yeah. yeah. So. And if you, if, you know, I, I just, I get, I just see it a lot. I see it too much. People arguing over the wrong crap. Were you trying to help the people? Or you trying to help yourself in your organization? You know, there's there's two things. You know, I just I don't know. Yeah. It, it, I had a long time tell me, ask me. He's like, you got you have to know the difference between whether you're trying to serve or you're trying to self serve. Yeah. And that that's just something that I always try to keep in mind. Like, I can't save everybody. I can't help everybody, but I could try to help one person at a time. Like, yeah. I can do the in gangs. Gang, gangs are a big problem, but I can help one kid from going to prison over some gang-related crime or, or, or possibly dying, you know, one kid at a time. That's all we could do. We're getting close to time, fellas. So I'd like to, to read off a couple questions. Uh, you know, we got, we got through what, uh, what we aim to do. So thank you for that. Cool. Um, what's cool about these questions, they come from, the, from a woman's perspective. So, you know, everybody listening can now hear a little bit from them rather than, um, than just us. Um, so here we go. If your kids have friends in a gang, but not necessarily involved in the gang themselves, would you guide or steer to dissolve that friendship? And we'll well, I would, as, a, as a parent, I've had my, my kids have had friends that were in gangs. Um, I just monitor their behavior and make sure that they're doing yeah. what they're supposed to do and maybe try to help those other kids along the way. Um, everybody yeah. jokes around about it, but a lot of people have stayed at my house. You know, a lot of my kids' friends and, and there's people that were involved in gangs and things like that. I wouldn't try to steer them away from people because it's just another human, but I would try to make sure that they're not participating in bad behavior or going unchecked. Yeah, because and, and asking them, why, why are you friends with them? 
right? Not like in a bad way, but like, why are you guys so good friends? They could have the same thing going on, right? They could have the same situation. They could be in the exact same situation and they relate, right? And it doesn't always mean like, uh, my daughter has, has, has friends that, you know, that are in similar situations that she's been through and they're able to relate because I can't, I can't relate to being a teenage girl, not having certain things we're missing out, you know, but she can with her friends. But like, like Philip was saying, you monitor and your, your kid's behavior and be like, okay, you could go over there. I need to know where you're going and what, you know, what you're going to be doing, you know, and that's it, you know, and, and, but as far as taking away from I think we know, right? When we pull our kids away from something, they kind of want to pull yeah. back. Yeah. As, as teenagers, you're, you're asking for that rebellion. And yeah. you can almost promise that now they're going to be sneaking around going to them <laughs> rather than you knowing about them. Um, my two cents on that would be to do your best to teach your kid how to be a leader and not a follower. Teach them how to think for themselves and also to have your kid involved with other groups. So if you know that's one group of friends, you know, have them on a, on a sports team or some, some outside of club. So he knows that there's different types of environments out there than just his small circle of, of kids from the neighborhood. Yeah. So, I mean, to, and, and to raise up a leader, we have to be leaders ourselves. Correct. Well, I agree with you 100% on that. Or at least be striving to be, you know, you got to show, you're at least showing. Yeah. To put in the work, that goes a long way. Um, how would you explain to your kids why it was okay for you to be in a gang and for them not to be? <laughs> sure, you, you guys have probably had this conversation. For, I guess, well, my daughter, I'm always like, look, um, I, I, I went through a lot already, right? Um, I, I, I made these bad choices and this is what happened to me. All right. Um, to to, to kind of like teacher, right? And we talked about that, being honest with our kids. Um, never really saying it was okay, right? Mm. But um, gosh, this one's a little harder, but um, I don't ever want to say it was okay for me to be a gang. I don't even want to say it was a bad thing for me to be in a gang. But it was a choice I made, and the reason I made the choice is because I didn't get. I've told my daughter this, Victoria. I did a lot of things because I didn't get the attention or the things you have in your life every day, right? And that's why I do this stuff for you every day, so you don't have to do that, and so you have an opportunity to have a better life than me. You know, so I mean, honesty again. Right, honesty is the key. We're, the kids can see through our our, our BS. They're not yeah. dumb. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think like like for me, it's it's important. I I don't glorify or glamorize it. I don't say that uh, it wasn't good. It wasn't cool that I was involved in a gang or involved in gang violence. But one thing I I think it's important to teach my kids is community pride. It's okay to be proud of where you come from. You know, it's okay to be proud of the people you grew up with or the city that you come from and things like that. But they, those things don't need to be connected like pride and, and self-pride and city pride and things like that don't need to be connected to any kind of violence or any kind of bad things. So I teach my kids, you know, be proud of that. You know, be proud. Of, it's funny because some of my kids were born in, in Santa Barbara, some were born in Oxnard. And the ones that were born in Santa Barbara always think they're a little bit better. 
I'm glad that they're proud of where they come from, but they know the damage of the rest of the stuff. And and I and the way I, I've gone about it, whether it was with my kids or my, my nephews, my godsons or or the kids that I work with now, is I know that I put myself back in my in my shoes back then and there was nothing, no matter how much a loved one could tell me that my homies were didn't have the best interest for me, that that I was gonna end up getting in trouble and, and they're not gonna have my back hundred percent all the time. Yeah, yeah, they fight. And yeah, they, they drink and party with you, but they'll be doing that whether you're there or not. <laughs> but to me, I was always thinking, oh, but my homies are different. You don't know. You're not there with me. I know them. They're different. And so when I talk with, with the youth about that, I tell them instead of don't do that or don't do this, I tell them, test them. If you really think they're your, your solid homies and they'd never do you wrong, test them. Well, what was it going to hurt besides make you feel that you can really trust them? So if you have a girl, have your girl slide into your boy's DM. See how he responds to that. If you have some cash on you, leave it on the table when no one's looking, you know, and leave the room. See what happens. And does anybody fess up to it? Like, you should test your homies. Like, don't be, don't be a punk. You, you, you have this certain persona. Don't be scared of them. If they're your homies, try it out. You know, and that, and that just hopefully opens up their eyes a different way than kind of what, what their uh, I kind of grew up hearing. But I think we'll close with that, fellas. Is there any closing statements you guys would like to make before we wrap it up? You want to go first, Nick? No, it was, it was, this was cool. Be able to talk about this with other, with other you know, other homies in the neighborhood that we all grew up, yeah. If you guys are, if you guys are open to it, you know, we could do it more often. Maybe narrow down on a, on a subject so we could spend more time in detail on one on one certain thing, and uh, we'll see how we get the feedback from here. But uh, you know, regardless, I I I didn't. If I just paid attention to the listenership of the podcast, I would have stopped a long time ago. You know, I do this because it's documenting, and at the very least. The, our kids can can hear what we said and the people from the community will always have this library to, to go back to. So I'm definitely open to it if you guys would, are open to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm open to it. I think especially right now with, with everything that's going on in Santa Barbara specifically, uh, people are going to be fresh and they're going to want to, they're going to want to uh, find answers and solutions to what's going on. Uh, we can't forget, man, that there's work to do in the, Every one of us in the community, whether we're a parent or not, have a responsibility to the community. Right. It's just not just not me and I live here and this is my I mind my own business. No, somebody needs us. We're, uh, we've been gifted with certain things that we could use to help other people, and we have a responsibility. You know, a life lived just for ourselves is worthless, but a life that we that we could give to others and to help other people, it means something. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time. I'd like to close with that we're, uh, that we're here speaking upon this stuff, but we're not just talking. We're all working in the community every day. And so I hope that carries a little bit more weight with this discussion and that we're not just talking about some past life that, that we used to live. And um, all of us can be reached on, on Instagram. Uh, Philip, you're at 
Yeah, but, at art by Philip Rendon. Nick? Shoot, hold on real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's at Regalado Gilbert, or of course you could find us at Solid Foundations um, or SB as well. M- mine is uh, at Bic, V-I-C-K. Is, it, is that a hashtag? No, underscore. No, okay. Underscore, yeah. At big underscore B B E E underscore. Okay. Make it all confusing. <laughs> Thanks again, and you guys have a good night. Good night, right, guys. You. God bless. Yeah.